from the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School. This is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. And welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School and we are on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and by day I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives Program here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter, and we are here with the Dream Team, Michelle and Dion. Happy December, everybody. So, hey, we had a show a couple weeks ago. If you missed it, you can find it on demand, Channel 111. It was a great show on all the best tips for your career or your job search. So, hey, if you've got more tips, we would love to hear them at one eight four four Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. Or if you've always had a question you wanted to ask regarding the job search, we would love to take your calls here at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. But let's get on with today's topic. And I'm very excited that we're going to welcome back Steve Dalton. Steve is the author and creator of The Two-Hour Job Search, which is an ultra-specific process for using technology to find the right job faster. He's a senior career consultant and associate director at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business, and we are very excited to have him back on the show. Welcome, Steve. Delightful to be here. I'm so excited. So we use your book with our executive MBA students, The Two-Hour Job Search, and they just love it. So I'm excited to talk about that today. But first, I want to talk about something else that's really exciting that you're involved with, which is the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge. Tell us about that, Steve. Absolutely. So there is a critical competency that is really a life skill. It is career limiting if you don't possess it. And that skill set is the ability to turn a stranger into an advocate. If you, at some point in your career, you'll need to sell business, which means turning a stranger into an advocate. You'll need to develop mentors at your own company to get promoted, which means turning a stranger into an advocate or getting resources or expertise you don't currently have. Right now, our universities largely leave that skill set up to chance, whether a student develops it. As a former chemical engineer myself, uh, that was exactly the kind of thing I shied away from and limited my career in the process. So I started the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge to call on universities, challenge them by the year 2020 to ensure that all students that start in 2020 experience at least one informational meeting with a recruiter that doesn't already come to campus before they graduate. So this is, um, I'm going to break this down because I think there's a lot of important pieces to this and I'm totally on board with this. What we know about career centers and universities are a couple things. One, they're usually under-resourced in terms of the number of, of coaches available to students. So what they've traditionally offered and still traditionally offer are a lot of resume workshops, maybe some res- uh, LinkedIn workshops and how to interview and those types of things. But I think the interesting thing about the sustainable job seeker challenge that you're putting forth is that all of these things are great. You need a stellar resume. You need to be on LinkedIn. You need to know how to interview. However, you don't necessarily get the opportunity to use any of those tools if you don't get in front of the decision makers. Correct. And, and that's your whole point for this this um, challenge. So how can a university or career center that's under-resourced and trying to provide the basics to students get to this point where they're able to not only teach those skills, but also teach people essentially how to network and get in front of those decision makers? I think that's where the innovation comes in. I think we at the business school at Duke, so the FICWA School of Business, we are the only school that has accomplished the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge at this point. And we've done that by putting it into our curriculum. So we have a required class on job searching, and students must complete checkpoints in order to qualify for on-campus interviews, uh, which is novel, completely novel in our industry. Is it a four-credit class, Steve? uh, Yes. We use previously unused periods from a communications class. So we just got added to their syllabus, so it didn't require any sort of curricular change or faculty approval. It was just using time that was otherwise going on un- unused. Okay. 
So I think universities would all agree that they have moral and ethical obligations to prepare students for life after they're gone, but they've always viewed that through an academic lens. Uh, it sends a terrible mixed message to students that all of their academics are required, yet all of their career preparation, what I would argue is life preparation, is optional. That really sabotages career centers. And I think the exciting thing about the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge is it's not just a career center challenge. It's not just a university challenge. It is a collaborative challenge. And I urge all listeners to get involved. You may feel a little embarrassment uh, in your job search that you don't know how to talk to a stranger, turn them into an advocate, and use their referral to get an interview. Don't feel bad. You've never been taught how to do this. This is not your fault. And if anything, it's university's fault. I don't think it's anyone's fault. I think technology has changed. The job market has changed. And we need to change in response. Mm -hmm. So I encourage you all, if you are in a job search or you're frustrated you don't know how to do this, or if your children are going through the same thing while they're in school, ask your career center about it. See if they know about the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge. You can Google it. I outline it in the Huffington Post piece. Um, if you're giving money back, tell your, tell your development office about it. Tell your alumni office about it. Uh, I think awareness is the first step. I think we all agree that this is an important life skill, but no one really wants to go first because it's hard content to teach. Mm -hmm. So, hey, if you work in a university career center, you're a career coach, or maybe you're a recent grad struggling because you have a great resume, you're, you feel great about your interview skills, but you can't get in front of the decision makers, we want to hear from you at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk, and we're on today with Steve Dalton, and we're talking about the Sustainable Job Seeker challenge, which um, is essentially, and I like what you talked about in the article that you wrote, Steve, which is, hey, if you don't know how to network or it feels really unnatural or uncomfortable, it's not your fault because we're not teaching these skills. And the fact is, in all fairness, 10, 15, 20 years ago, Having a resume, applying online, getting to the interview is the way to do it. But what we know, and this is in your two-hour job search book as well, is that the network, or excuse me, the online job boards are oversaturated, and this is not the way to do it any longer. You're not going to be successful if that's your only means to finding employment. Networking Correct. is the way to do it. Brown, Setrin, and Topa did an amazing study at the New York Fed in 2012, and they found, in terms of their hiring practices, and they found for every one candidate that was hired through an online job posting, 12 candidates were hired through an internal referral. So not only are you hoping when you see a job posting that you're the most qualified one of hundreds of candidates that applied, you're also hoping that it's that one out of 13 job openings that is actually going to go to an online applicant. The odds are so terrible. It's not that I think uh, networking is so efficient, uh, or relationship building, rather, is so efficient. It's just so much better than the alternative, which is a black hole. And I think um, a lot of the press that I see blames the job seeker for this plight. It's not their fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you're struggling with networking, we want to help you. Give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Or if you have an opinion on the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge, give us a call or you can tweet us at bizradio111. So, hey, um, another thing is you're talking about the online piece is I'm going to I'm gonna stress this to people who are in a job search or contemplating a job search. The first thing companies are going to do is they're going to look internally. As a matter of fact, I found a, a stat that says 72% of employers first look at their internal resources, which includes their own um, their own people, referrals of their own people. And if this is a really cool job, if this is a really well-paid job, this, is, this job is not going to last long. This job isn't going to make it to the next level. Usually the next level is maybe the company website, which again is not going to show up on, on some of the big job boards. And then by the time it gets to some of these big job boards, you have to understand it's gone through multiple levels. So I'm not saying it's not a great job, but I'm going to say if you really want one of the awesome jobs, it may not be showing up on the job board. I think the jobs that show up on the job boards are often getting posted just for legal reasons to show a fair process, even though they already have an internal candidate identified or an internal referral teed up for it. So I think there's a lot of red herrings out there on those job boards of jobs that aren't even in play. Oh, I agree. Worse. I agree. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but I will tell people, and it's not fair, you're never going to win with an internal candidate. You're never going to win against an internal candidate. Hey, we're going to go to Howard in Florida. Howard, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today? Yes. Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Had a look at the time. Good afternoon. <laughs> um, I was with a very uh, large company. The company was growing at a uh, tremendous, tremendous rate, and uh, I was very, very well capitalized. 
uh, in the neighborhood of around 250 million. Long story short, come in one day and uh, it was a basically consumer services type of thing. They were an aggregator for uh, ground transportation. Long story short, they literally just shut down and uh, sort of that was the end of it. Now being back in the marketplace, it becomes a little more difficult to uh, to get back in the game. I mean, I have 30 years in transportation and uh, I've held everything in my own companies, uh, president, CEO, um, just vice president, and all different transportation, public and private. Now at my age at 53, it's difficult to get back into the uh, workforce game uh, to go and do it. Can you recommend, I mean, I've did my resume, I revamped the resume, and I'm learning now that my resume is more of a doer's resume than an achiever, so I sort of have to change that, so I'm sort of becoming more understanding of that. Is there any advice that you can give me and direction? Yeah, so Howard, it sounds like it's been um, some time since you were in a job search, and likely when you were in your last job search, applying through the standard routes of, of either responding to a job ad or things of that nature, that's really not the way to go any longer. Yes, some people still do get jobs that way, but the the kind of tables have turned and networking is really uh, what Steve um, Dalton and I are talking about today is is really going to be your way in. So I think first you need to understand what you want to do and be very clear about that. And second, you've already said it, your resume should be kind of read more like a lifetime achievement award than than a, a list of responsibilities and things you've done. So instead of looking at it as a historical document, you want to look at it as like, hey, here are the things that I've done that have impacted the bottom line that I can bring to your company. Are you on um, LinkedIn, Howard? Uh, yes. Yeah, I use it quite a bit, actually. And uh, I've gotten some hits with it. So I'm sort of talking with people and that's been a been a a pretty good thing actually for me fantastic so that's yeah that's critical and i will tell people if you're in a job search and you're not on linkedin you 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 might as well not exist and i know that's harsh (laughs) but that's i really want people to to have that hit home steve what would you recommend to howard Uh, my recommendation would be to stop working on your resume as quickly as possible there is some interesting research done by the ladders which show that on average employers spend six seconds per resume that i think that stat has been circulating in various forms for a while what they found though they Uh, was that 80% of what the hiring managers were actually looking at was information that you can't change. It's your biographical information, the companies you worked for, the job titles you held, your dates of employment, your schools. That means that's 1.2 seconds left for all of those bullet points that we really are taught to stress and agonize over. But in reality, they're just not getting read. I, so I think the, the, the way to beat the resume game is to stop working on your resume. Take that equivalent amount of time and put it towards developing relationships. One more stat I'll throw at you. Dan, Daniel Kahneman, he's a famous uh, psychologist. He wrote this book called Thinking Fast and Slow. He talks about attribute substitution. And what that means is that when we're asked difficult questions, we, it's human nature to substitute easier questions for the hard question and not even realize we made a substitution. So when people are looking to hire for jobs, especially very, very experienced senior level jobs, they are thinking, who's going to do best in this job? That's a really hard question to answer. So what they'll do is substitute an easier question. Who do I like best? Who do I think will function best in our culture? And they'll use likability as that gauge. So it all starts with likability, especially at these senior echelons that you're looking at. So it is a huge paradigm shift, and it's something you've never been trained to do. But the good news is everybody else is terrible at it, too, at this point, (laughs) because they haven't been trained either. So don't be afraid of this relationship building. Know that you're in a new frontier. This is an exciting time. There's an arbitrage opportunity to outperform the market. But it does involve a very, very significant shift towards a relationship-oriented search versus a resume-oriented search. And, and Howard, being that you're very active on LinkedIn and you have deep experience in this field, assuming that you're, you're looking to stay in this industry, it sounds like you already have a rich network that you can tap into to do exactly what Steve's saying is to, to really get out there and um, put your skills forth and see what's, what's out there. Would, would you agree? Yeah, I guess, I guess you're, I'm actually in the right direction then. Uh, I've been, you know, uh, uh, mining my, my uh contacts on uh on linkedin and uh, i have over like 3300 contacts so that's substantial on linkedin um now my old company i still have my old title and i still have you know the old company should i change that should i revise it for you know seeking a new and exciting career or new exciting business opportunity or looking to expand what what's the best way to word into that they haven't changed anything yet 
I have strong thoughts on this one. I, I actually do not like the seeking new opportunities profile line. Okay. Uh, I okay. think it signals a sense of desperation, fair or not. I think other people interpret it as that, which makes mm -hmm. them less likely to accept an invitation to connect or an, uh, an invitation to chat. Um, so for me, I think uh, it leave your current job title, I think that's totally adequate. I wouldn't want to scare anybody off proactively. And I think when people see the seeking new opportunities, they think this person's going to ask me for a job. And I don't know if I want to be a part of that. Yeah, I would agree with that. But Howard, it sounds like you're doing um, all of the right things. Mm -hmm. Networking, one of the re reasons people fear networking, I think, too, is because they feel like, oh, it's going to take so much longer. It's so much more efficient to apply to a job, get the interview. And, and But honestly, considering the market and the oversaturation, it, it doesn't <laughs> take that much longer. It takes a lot more time. You can't do it from sitting behind your computer in your pajamas. But um, it is definitely the way to go. And you're going to end up with a better opportunity in the end. And likely a higher compensation because if you get to a job through networking mm -hmm. and you don't have that much competition, chances are they're, you're going to be able to negotiate something that is a little bit more stellar since they don't have 40 other resumes waiting for them. Howard, good luck to you. Let us know how it goes. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, if you've got a question about the job search, if you've got a question about networking or how to build these relationships and get out of the online job application cycle, which is day by day, feeling like it's getting worse and worse, you can give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's 844-942-7866. Hey, if it's noon Eastern time and, and 10 a.m. for our friends out there in Colorado, we are taking your calls live at 844-WHARTON. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if you're not following me on Twitter, find me at Dr. Don Graham. And we're also here with Steve Dalton, who is the author of The Two-Hour Job Search and who is pushing his very important sustainable job seeker challenge so that people can find a job they love. So, so important. So we already know the internet is oversaturated. So Steve, you talked about the fact that some of these jobs are red herrings, that companies are just advertising because they're legally required to. What are some of the other reasons um, that the online job search does not work? I think it's a massive amount of competition, plus just uh, it's decision anxiety is really what it boils down to. Decision anxiety, Barry Schwartz, uh, psychology professor out of Swarthmore, wrote a book called The Paradox of Choice, and he, his research found that the more options you're given, the harder it is to make a decision, and the less happy you are with the decision you make. I think job search engines like Indeed are great for letting you know which companies are in your cities of choice, what positions they're hiring for, but they're terrible ways to actually apply for jobs. They tend to just overwhelm job seekers. Here are a bunch of options for you and figure out which ones are worth your time to apply. And applying is a, a, a bad choice here because we know the, the, the likelihood of getting a response to that online application is so close to zero as to make it uh, not worthwhile. So I think the combination of the overwhelming, it, it feels like there's a buffet out there, but there's really just no food on the trays that you're seeing. <laughs> yeah. And, and these jobs that are posted online are getting 200 resumes easy. Yeah. 200. And, you know, even if only half of them are qualified, which is probably the case, that's still very tough competition. Whereas you talked about before referrals, I read a stat that only about 7% of candidates are actually referrals. But guess what? They're the ones getting the jobs. It's yes. So again, it's not that I think networking is efficient, and I I hate networking. I, as a chemical engineer, this was exactly the kind of thing I avoided, and I found that job search training was always taught by naturally charismatic people, which I'm not. I'm kind of a, a nerdy engineering guy. <laughs> um, so it, it it's such a huge paradigm shift to suddenly embrace this sort of relationship focused job search, but it's so important. Because the alternative is so bad, yeah. the alternative being online job postings. And they hurt people. I like that you call it relationship-based. I mean, people have really gotten like sick of the word networking. I like it yeah. because I, I think about it in its its true form about what it is, which it is relationship building over time, mutual contact, mutual help. But a lot of people have defined it in this very ugly way of using people, and that's not networking. 
Absolutely true. So so the relationship-based may be more palatable for people. Yes, I do find it important to change that word because networking is so loaded negatively with this being this very transactional brute force sort of interaction. When in reality, what I teach, I teach a framework called Tiara for managing informationals where it ensures that you are using that person's time to extract as much information, expertise, advice, insight they have. There is no mention whatsoever of job leads. If you get to know someone well enough, they will eventually volunteer ways to help you. But building that likability and that trust letting them know it's okay if you hand me off to your boss, I'm not going to put him on the spot or her on the spot and ask her for a job explicitly and embarrass you in the process. So getting, uh, I think there's a, there's a military ac- uh, uh, axiom that fast is slow and slow is fast. So when you try to be super efficient in these informationals and your first question is what sort of job openings do you know about, that's going to kill your momentum. You're going to ruin the effort. Uh, instead, take a more uh, a slower, more sincere approach. Ask this person where they see the market headed for their role. What makes them? What's one skill or trait makes them good at their job? If they were you, what would they do to maximize their chance of getting their foot in the door in this industry? Like, let people be mentors to you. Don't ask them for job leads. It's it's counterproductive. But it seems, but it seems counterintuitive to take this slow roundabout approach. Um, that's that's the the terror of the modern job search. So, and I one of the reasons I love your book, the two hour job search, is because I think you masterfully lay out for the person who is really resistant to networking and like, no, 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 I can't do it. I don't know how. I don't. I wouldn't even know where to start. I don't know how to say anything. I don't know how to email. I mean, you masterfully lay out exactly what people need to do, um, which is awesome because I think people. I think they hear it. I think they know. Okay, I get it. I get it. Networking, relationship building, but I don't even know where to start. (laughs) For me, I I took a lot of inspiration when I wrote the two-hour job search from CPR and from the Heimlich Maneuver. Wow. These are two things that we all know (laughs) are critically important. We all basically know how to do them. They help us whenever we're in a really terrible situation. We don't have to think. We just go into these rote routines that we know work. And it dawned on me, why isn't there something like this for, an even, for a similarly painful, high-stakes situation? <laughs> Networking is like choking to death. <laughs> uh, yeah, or, or, but for me, I would almost zoom out at a level and say it's not just about networking. It's about being able to provide for yourself and your family. So for me, this is a very high-stakes situation we're talking about, similar to choking, similar to, you know, losing your livelihood, except your, your family's livelihood is at stake here, too. So for me, I really set out to create that CPR, that Heimlich maneuver for needing to find employment. I love it. I love it. And here's the thing. If you're listening and you have not read the two-hour job search or you've not heard this process, you're going to want to stay tuned because if, if you've wanted to be better at networking and relationship building and you just need that process, that structure, Steve is going to give that to you in the second half of the show. We're here with Steve Dalton. You're listening to Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You're on Career Talk, and we are going to go to our pre-break Quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz. Okay, and I'm very excited because this one has two answers. So you're doubling your shot of actually getting getting this right. So here is the question. More and more companies are using social media to screen candidates to assess an applicant's personality and character. While pictures involving alcohol and drinking used to top the list of no-nos for job applicants, there are actually two new topics that are topping the list of taboos. So what are those two new topics that you should avoid having on your social media if you're in a job search? Hey, if you think you know, give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. What are those two new topics that you should avoid having on your social media if you're in a job search? You're listening to Sirius XM on Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we'll be right back with more Career Talk. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Graham. And welcome back to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School, the place where you get great career advice 
and have fun doing it. So we are here with Steve Dalton, the author of The Two-Hour Job Search, and also the advocate behind the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge. We are here every Thursday at noon Eastern time. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham, or you can subscribe to my weekly blogs on dawnoncareers.com. Steve, so... I am um, during the break. We we put out our pre-break quiz, but before I answer that, I got a um, a tweet that is <laughs> is great from from Rick DeCal Jr. who says if relationship building is not one of someone's strengths, not yeah, and the two-hour job search is ideal, are you doomed? So I can't network, but I, I am I doomed? What do uh, I, what do I do? I think I, I like to get away from this word of networking where because i think people equate networking with sales and but it is though in some ways isn't it i would strongly disagree with that really actually. no let's talk about this because you hear that a lot you hear it's like life is all about selling life is all about selling yourself selling Ugh. everybody's a sales person are there books called that like everybody's a salesperson and i hate those books um <laughs> Steve think, does not endorse those books. Good to know. <laughs> if there's one piece of advice I wish would die in a fire, it would be sell yourself. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> likes being sold to today. When we sense a sales pitch, our guards go up. But in this job search process, you need people's guards to come down. So uh, th- I like it. I think it's very democratizing because success in sort of this networking process, the sales-based process, was really limited only to naturally charismatic people who had that salespersonship skill set. But anyone can do the alternative to selling themselves, which is being likable, building likability. And the direct route to building likability is asking people why they're so good at what they do. And anyone can do that. It doesn't require a unique skill set. It brings people's guards down. Once you show that you're truly invested in them, you're taking the time, deferring your own needs, you're you're egoless. You're just really trying to understand what this person, what makes them special. Mm -hmm. They are naturally going to reciprocate because they'll feel bad otherwise. They'll take an interest in this person who has great taste and who they interview, uh, and they'll take an interest in you in return. That is the alternative to selling themselves. Anyone can do that. You don't need a skill set. I can do that, and I'm an awkward guy. Um, so give yourself permission to not sell yourself. Uh, anybody can build likability. It just matter. It, it, the key single factor in success in building likability is active listening. Can you ask a question and then actually receive the answer? Ask a good follow-up question. Okay, so, um, so Rick is not doomed because it's not about selling. Right. But... Let's talk about the relationship building piece. Let, let, Rick, I'm sure you're great at, at building relationships and have lots of friends, but, but maybe in what Rick is talking about in the actual, um, I guess, context of a job search, it's different because now you, you have something at stake. Correct. It is a unique skill set versus forming friendships because in this situation, you are reaching out to cold strangers. Uh, most often, using, often using LinkedIn. Um, so it's not this natural being able to, to share a drink with someone and uh, have a conversation. It's a very purposeful conversation. Everybody knows the transaction that's going on. When you reach out to someone to ask them about their experience, they know you're probably looking for a job, um, which is great because that actually weeds out the half of people who have no interest in even engaging with you. So a lot of people won't get back to you when you reach out for these conversations. But the people who do are at least entertaining the idea of advocating for you. But they want to have a conversation with you to see if they're comfortable doing that. The best way to blow up that advocacy is to put them on the spot and ask them for jobs. I want to ask our listeners about this idea of sales and networking. Yes, no one likes to be salesy, schmoozy, and you kind of always envision that, you know, kind of used car kind of thing coming. But <laughs> but is there, if I'm going to ask the listeners, is there a place for sales in job networking? You can give us a call at one eight four four wharton That's 844-942-7866. Because while I hate that word sales and I'm an introvert by nature and anything that has to do with sales, keep me away from it. At the same time, I feel like if I don't have a strong brand, whether that's online or through my actions or through my blog posts or things of that nature, um, and I don't communicate my strengths, I may have lots of likability all over the world, but people have no idea what I offer. So, I mean, where is the line drawn, Steve? For me, I think the time for selling is when you're in an interview. But at that point, absolutely, you are selling yourself. 
You are trying to help them understand where your skill set fits into their organization. The, the thing is, is that nobody listens to any sales pitch before they like you. They don't have an incentive to. Why do I want to listen to, stra uh, to a stranger selling me on how great they are? If you have time in an informational meeting to try to turn a stranger into an advocate, the much better approach would be to ask them why they're so good at their job. And then they'll take an interest in you because if you just open up with here, oh, well, let me start with a little background about me. Then you talk about yourself for five minutes. This person doesn't care about you yet. They don't have a reason to. You haven't shown an interest in them. In fact, you, you're asking them for their advice, but then you're starting off the conversation by this is all about me and my needs, not you with the one with expertise. So they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, which is one of my favorite quotes. And oh, I agree with amazing. that. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, however, maybe we need to like drill down into this idea of selling because it's you're right. If you go in with I, 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 me, 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 here's why I'm so... I mean, Dale Carnegie way back when had it nailed yep. <laughs> with it, with making friends and influencing people. He had that strategy nailed. But at some point, maybe even before the interview, there has to be some kind of exchange about the value you add. No, I don't think so. I think it's that, it's that attribute substitution that Daniel Kahneman outlines, because there are lots of qualified people out there, but I could talk to 100 people who want to be strategy consultants and not have any idea which ones are going to be the best strategy consultant. But I'll substitute, who do, who do I like the most? Who do I trust? Who can I train? Who's teachable? And I'll substitute that in because um, this attribute substitution happens uh, because of the pain that a difficult question inflicts on, on a thinker. So a hiring manager, it's a painful question. Who should I hire for this role? Um, they can't tell who's going to be the best engineer or the best graphic designer, but they will get a sense very crystal clear of who they like best, who they're most comfortable around, and they'll back solve. And they'll, make, they'll find a way to rationalize that person they like to put into that role. So I think the sales is sort of a, that is sort of a check in the box after you know that you're already in their process. If you open with that, it's just going to alienate people. Hey, if you'd like to weigh in, we'd love to hear from you at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Donger, and we're here with Steve Dalton, who is the author of The Two-Hour Job Search. And right now, Steve, I want to talk more about this, and especially the two-hour job search that people have a process, but we're going to go answer our pre-break quiz, which, <laughs> haha, which... I'm very excited about. Okay. <laughs> More companies are using social media to screen candidates to assess an applicant's personality and character. This is not new. I would say over 90% of companies are looking at your, your LinkedIn and probably a good half of that are looking at your Facebook, even if you have it on privacy settings. So just know that. While pictures involving alcohol used to top the list of no-nos, there are two new topics that are on the list of taboos. So I, I got to go to Dion because Dion's got now like a, a double shot at getting this answer. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to say politics. Politics. You can't do one at a time. Are you going to do both? Oh, yeah, do both because maybe you'll get one of them right, Dion. I uh, got the feeling that was wrong. Okay. <laughs> that would have been my guess. Yeah. Damn it. Mine too. Actually, politics is one of the things, but it's not one of the two answers that are the biggest right now. Damn it. Um, I'm going to say politics and sex. Okay. Um, double buzzer for you, Dion. Jeez. Sorry. <laughs> I just can't win. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle? Michelle? Uh, um, okay. I'm going to say... Neither of those are good, by the way. So just, Dion, you're still, you're still helping people because those are, are things you definitely don't want on your social media. <laughs> you're just, not wrong. Yeah, so you're not wrong about that. <laughs> just want to clarify. Yeah, you, I just want to clarify. Okay, Michelle. Okay, I'm going to say um, CPR and the Heimlich. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, sales. <laughs> no sales. I'm going to say, I was going to say politics. Okay, I'll say religion and, oh, shoot. Religion and, uh, all I have is politics. That's it. Politics <laughs> and religion. All right, Steve, you're going to have to bring it home for us. Oh, gosh. I, religion well, and politics were my two guesses. I mean, uh, again, not taken. good. Not good. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, uh, if I had to reach, um, wow, I'm really stretching here. Uh, <laughs> um, Your question was too hard, dog. No, I really <laughs> thought this was a softball. Maybe, I, I'm, I'm, like, really reaching here. I have another one. All right, Michelle. Michelle's going to... I feel like you don't want to be talking about race relations on Facebook. Yes. I like, knew it. Yes, there you go. 
So, so <laughs> here's the thing. So they did this study about. Uh, 15,000 U.S. employees this year who had alcohol on their social accounts and found that there's little no to no effect on job performance because so many people actually have alcohol on their social accounts. That's so great to know. I know. It's a data po- Yeah, there we go, Dion. So don't worry about that. Way to be, uh, everybody. I know. It's like, yeah, Safety welcome numbers. to America. So, yeah. So it's not a good data point because they'd have to screen out everyone who applied. <laughs> Which, you know, you know, which is interesting, too, because, you know, a lot of the startups and and companies are now like talking about happy hours and beer Fridays and stuff, which would be weird. You screen somebody out for having a beer on their site, but then you're going to hire them and be like, come to beer Friday. So it's it's good that they finally caught up with this. But uh, bigoted comments and mentions of illegal drugs of any kind. Uh, so, so people went for the alcohol and the sex and the, the the illegal drugs people take it off of... Well, I don't even know why you'd be putting that on, on social media anyway, but it's not just putting it on your social media. It's being associated. So if you're tagged, if you like, or if you repost anything to do with this, this is what employers are looking at. The other interesting thing that I found when I looked at this research was that now they're looking at are you liking and reposting and and doing things on social media during the day when you should be working because it gives this, the employers a, a red flag that you're not actually doing your job, which is interesting. If you want to enhance your social media, though, there's one thing you should put on there that employers actually like and will boost your likability. Do you guys think you know what that is? Come on, Dion. Bring what is it? Picture. No, well, yeah, yeah. Well, a picture, but, but what activity? What activity? Again, Dion, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not. Um, this is exercise. becoming a theme. No, I wish I was exercise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's not really part of the, the quiz. Yeah. Um, I'm going to guess uh, putting your place of employment on there or putting a status about what you're doing at work. So it's actually volunteering. That's uh, uh, my guess. Oh, sorry, Steve. I took the, yeah. And if you are in a charity race, if so exercise, that's charity race, Dion. If you're in a charity race or you're, you're doing something where um, it's community related, all that, that's good stuff. So anyway, if you're out there in a job search, I would say avoid bigoted comments, illegal drugs, but also sex, alcohol, politics. <laughs> And just put all of your volunteer work up there. <laughs> so you're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We are taking your calls all hour at one eight four four Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we are here talking with Steve Dalton, who is the author of the 2-Hour Job Search. And let's go ahead and give the listeners a structure to follow. So one of the things I love about your book is it starts with the companies. Very simply, identify those companies that you want to work with. So not starting with the people, but starting with the companies. Tell us about this, Steve. Oh, man. Uh, It is so important to have a target in mind. Uh, People don't realize what a painful process it is to take an ideal job, the job you want, and translate that into actual target employers. Because there are inherent concessions at every step. Maybe the brand of the company is not as good as you want. Maybe the location is not as desirable. Uh, maybe the, the, it's a startup, so you're not there, you don't have the job security you'd wish you have. Um, so giving people a framework for handling these difficult questions, what am I willing to concede on first? And making their infinite seeming job search finite by giving them a, a finite list of targets and an order in which to pursue them is critical. So I use something called the LAMP list to, within 70 minutes of effort, give people a little bit of due process. In that 70 minutes, they can vet a large consideration set of possible employers, 40 or more. Surprising you can do that in 40 minutes, but if you follow a good structure, you can do that, absolutely. And the next 30 minutes, you find three pieces of data that are easy to find and predictive of job search success to help you prioritize those 40 companies into your top five, because I think it's realistic that you can manage outreach and relationship building with five employers simultaneously any more than that and you're really biting off more than you can chew Mm -hmm. and i love that you talk about the fact that and this this is kind of a staggering statistic for me that 99.9 percent of u.s businesses have fewer than 500 employees it's really striking it's like whoa (laughs) mind blown that 0.1 percent all the time when whenever we read a news story it's always about the gigantic ones so we think those are the only companies that are out there so a big part of it is getting beyond the amazons and the google 
Bulls and the Ubers and the ones that you constantly hear about because there's so many companies out there that people are are maybe missing out on great great jobs because they're they're trying to compete with with Google that gets like four thousand resumes a day or something crazy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I will say the most devastating, the hardest loop to get yourself out of as a job seeker is I don't care about industry, I don't care about sector, I I'll, I'll work anywhere. I'm super flexible. When you want everything, you get nothing. <laughs> nope, don't you do it. To, yeah, you have to have some kind of focus. So if you've always found Kickstarter really interesting, a lot of people would think, okay, I'll do Kickstarter. It's, uh, I've, I've heard of that one. There's 35 other companies that do what Kickstarter does that have venture capital backing, but people don't think about the less obvious competitors. The nice thing about focusing on a sector you enjoy learning about naturally for free in your spare time is that you're getting smarter at it every day. But if you focus on those employers, the conversation you have with one, asking them about the challenges they're facing, is going to help you impress the next one that you speak to, who's mm-hmm. likely facing very similar challenges. Yep. So you get smarter and better and closer to employment each time you have a new conversation versus the shotgun approach where there's no logic, there's no common themes or coherent uh, sector of interest. Yep. It's about creating your structure. And that's what I like about the two-hour job search. It helps people create their structure in a very easy to follow way. And yeah, if you market to everyone, you market to no one. So (laughs) it is great to be focused. So, okay, this is the next question I get, Steve. So, okay, you say I have to have 40 companies and there's all these companies, 99% that have fewer than 500 employees. How the heck do I find them? I know Google. I know Amazon. I I know Apple. How do I find these these 99% since I've never heard of them. So I, in the book, I outlined four different approaches that I'd ask job seekers to spend 10 minutes each on. The first, the dream employer method, which is just that brainstorm. Where would I really like to work? Uh, because these are the companies you're most likely to get fixated on artificially. They're the first companies that come to mind. There's likely a lot of competition because they're usually big brand names. So if that's the entirety of your list, you're going to be in for a very frustrating search. Uh, long, like uh, high competition and low success. The second method is the alumni method. So your most recent uh, college or university, uh, you can look that up on LinkedIn. See where people like you have ended up, people who followed your path, and then you know you're going to have a built-in network there. The third approach is the Indeed.com method. I was hating on Indeed.com a little earlier as being a terrible way to get a job, (laughs) and it is, but it is a great way to brainstorm companies that are hiring in your city of choice or hiring for specific job titles. And the fourth is the the trend method. Just read for fun for 10 minutes. Uh, Just don't think about your job search, but anytime you come across an article where an organization is doing something interesting, that's a potential employer, and you have a very organic way to reach out to them because you found them doing something you enjoy. So that's the easiest outreach email of all to write. So so add any company or employer that you see that way onto your list as well. Yeah. And another method I like on on LinkedIn, they offer a great tool that say, you know, people who looked at this company also looked at these companies. Now, some of them are going to be very popular companies, but if you drill down enough, you're going to start to see companies that maybe you haven't heard of. And then look at their competitors. I mean, who who are their competitors who may not be nearly as, as big or popular, but there's lots of ways to drill down. Oh, I'll do you one better, uh, Don, here. Love it, um, Steve. I, I love it, man. I love that you challenge us. <laughs> so this is, people also viewed option in LinkedIn as wonderful. It gives you six other employers that people looked at that are generally are going to be similar to the one you're looking at on LinkedIn. However, there's another approach. I call it the similar button method. I outline it on twohourjobsearch.com which is the website for my book. Um, But the similar button approach, what you would do is you type your dream company into the top search bar in in LinkedIn. Now, it's going to offer you suggestions, but I want you to ignore all of those suggestions that that, uh, pop up underneath that box. Just type in the company's name and hit enter. When you look up a company this way, the company will usually be one of the first hits. If it's not, make sure that you're restricting results just to the companies, which is immediately to the left of that search bar. But um, that company name will come up first, and you'll have a new option called Similar. When you click on Similar, it will give you 35 or so companies that it considers similar instead of just six. And it will give you them to you in a much easier format where you can see their names and locations and sizes very quickly. Plus, you'll get full access to their suite of filters. Uh, which is wonderful. You can see, just show me the big companies over 50 people in size. Just show me the ones in the Bay Area. And this is premium membership or basic? This is basic membership. Yep, that's Yeah. Good. All this is basic. So for those of you saying, yeah, but I don't have that, you don't need it. Yep, I I too am a basic member. All right. (laughs) 
<laughs> Steve, no selling, basic member of LinkedIn. We got it. <laughs> and the Heimlich. We're going we're gonna to start associating these with you. So, hey, if you've got a job search question you've always wanted to ask or if you're struggling with networking or maybe you've read the two-hour job search and have some advice you want to pull out and give to others who are struggling with this, you can give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. Or you can tweet us at Dr. Don Graham. So, okay. So, I've got my list. I've, I've done all this stuff. I found some people in my alumni network and maybe even just like second level contacts, but I have no idea what to say. You told me I can't ask about a job. So, you know, what do I say? Oh, my goodness. Uh, can, you, uh, <laughs> <laughs> can you repeat that question? I'm sorry. I, <laughs> what do I say? What do I reach out? Can I, I mean, I can't just say I want a job. So, I, I yes. mean, what do I say? <laughs> so, I think the key is asking people for advice and insight. I think there's this great maxim that I heard. If you ask for, uh, from a salesperson, if you ask for time, you get money. If you ask for money, you get time uh, or from development people. Um, so, if you ask for jobs, you'll get ignored. If you ask for advice and insight, you'll get a response which they'll know you're looking for a job. Uh, but it's like going to a dinner party with a bottle of wine. You don't walk in and tell the host, I bought you this bottle of wine for free because you're cooking me dinner for free. You just set the bottle of wine down on the counter and you eat up all their food. So there's this <laughs> dance. There's this transaction that's very subtle. It's manners, essentially. Um, they know why you brought the bottle of wine. You're just being a gracious guest, and they appreciate that. But if you make it explicit, it totally ruins the whole gesture. So I encourage job seekers to take the same approach. Don't feel, and I understand the compulsion, the need to be super explicit because you're just so burnt out from getting disappointed and getting ignored and getting let down and wasting your time. Uh, but it absolutely is necessary here. They know why you're reaching out to ask them about their advice. Just leave it implicit. Don't make it explicit that you're reaching out to them for job opportunities. You never need to ask them explicitly for job leads. In fact, mm -hmm. you'll, doing so will alienate people who are on your side. Mm -hmm. They'll take offense. They'll think, you don't think I would have told you? Uh, you know, we like each other. You don't think I would have told you if there was an opportunity here? I've never heard someone, uh, that, uh, the type of person I call a booster, who's the, the, the minority of people out there who are genuinely helpful to job seekers. I've never heard one of them say, I really liked this guy, but because he never asked me explicitly for a job, I didn't let him know about this opening we had. Mm -hmm. yep. It just simply doesn't happen. So, okay, so the, the employee, the bringing a bottle of wine... Um, implicit gesture, and, and we know you can put that on Facebook now, and it will not apparently deter people from hiring you. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you talked about boosters, and I like that you break up your network into curmudgeons, obligates, and boosters, because this is critical, because people are like, should I reach out again? Should I not reach out? I haven't heard from them. It's been three days. It's been three weeks. What do I do? So I think people over... Uh, underappreciate how useful it is to get ignored in this process. So when you reach out to someone and ask them for their advice and insight, I, I think the way I teach in the book, I teach something called the four-point outreach email. Uh, when you reach out with one of these emails, which is designed to use likability rather than sales to get people invested in your cause, when you do this, you only get about a 40% response rate. So if you send five emails, on average, you'll hear back from two. And one of those two on average will be actually helpful. So you're going to have to kiss a lot of frogs in this process. Mm -hmm. And getting ignored outright is not the worst thing that can happen. I call these people curmudgeons. These people have no interest in helping you with their job, but they're clear about it. They are not engaging with you at all. The most dangerous segment in this process is a group I call obligates. Obligates will get back to you, maybe set up a meeting with you, then cancel at the last minute and get really hard to reschedule with or contact again. They get back to you really slowly or only occasionally. They're dangerous in your job search because they give you a negative return on effort instead of just a zero return on effort like a curmudgeon does. Now, that minority, that one out of five people that's helpful, I call these boosters. They are motivated by social norms. They appreciate and empathize with your situation, and they genuinely want to help. But what they need to know, they can trust you before they can help you. And if you ask them for a job, explicitly, they're not going to feel very comfortable handing you off to a colleague or to their boss. So one of the things about obligates, this this kind of very dangerous time-sucking group uh, that I find is a pretty key indicator, it's it's that person's like, oh, yeah, send me your resume and I'll shop it around. In my opinion, that is like dead and central. For me, the my key indicator of an obligate besides, uh, besides a slow response time is going to be a lack of specificity about next steps. Mm-hmm. So if they say, yeah, you know, just keep doing what you're doing or, yeah, send me your resume and I'll, I'll, see what, I'll see if I can find anything like that, 
that kind of squishiness gives me grave concern that that person's actually in my corner. I think they're just trying to get rid of me. Yep. Now, the funny thing is, is one common obligate practice is send me a resume and I'll forward it on to HR. This is actually pretty great because they're going to, they, they may actually follow through on their word and follow that, forward that resume on to HR. HR is not going to go back to that obligate and ask them, are you really endorsing this person or are you just trying to get them out of your hair? They're going to assume, oh, th- that's an actual endorsement. So you may get the benefit of a referral even without doing an informational meeting. It won't be a very strong endorsement, but that may be enough to get you in as an internal referral to differentiate you from all of the online applicants. So what about, um, it, you know, you talked about you have alumni contacts or maybe second-level contacts. What about reaching out cold? What about reaching out to somebody you have no relationship with? I'm a huge fan. So I'm how do actually, people do it? I'm a huge so, fan, too. Just I think people are like, I, I, I'm intimidated by that. I don't even know what yes. to say. I don't know what to do. I think just get accustomed to the fact that a 40% response rate on your outreach is great. That is actually a good thing. That's not a bad thing. I think 40% to the engineers in the audience sounds pretty good because that was an A on most of our tests back in the day. But for the rest of us, like a 40% response rate being good hurts. That's, that's an F. That's an F plus. Um, I think just getting used to the fact that rejection is not failure, uh, that getting ignored is not a failure, that you're in this to find the, the, the diamond in the rough that nugget of help that's out there. So let's talk about getting ignored because there's one part in your book where you talk about like there, there was one guy who's like, I will not get back to people unless they reach out to me at least twice. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know that that's general common practice, but I guess he wanted to make sure the person was serious. So, so where do people draw the line on, on reaching out to people once, twice, four times? Twice and only twice is my guidance. Yep. Reach out once, follow up once, and then disappear. Mm-hmm. If they a third or a fourth attempt, they obviously don't want to engage with you, so they're probably not going to be that helpful. You may alienate them in the process. Um, so for me, I think just realizing re- you can write a very basic outreach email to strangers, and I find it's easier to establish an urgent relationship with a stranger than it is with an existing contact, which is counterintuitive. But I think people overestimate the value of existing contacts in their job search. It's hard to take a contact that you knew from a previous job two years ago and you were kind of casual friends and suddenly get them to treat your relationship urgently just because you need it to be. I think it's much easier to take a perfect stranger, maybe even someone from an entirely different school, or, and get them to know you in a context, the only context they will know you in is an urgent one, a time-sensitive, action-required sort of relationship. I strongly encourage, and this is a little bit different than in the book, I strongly encourage reaching out to people that share your job of interest, that have the job you want now or one day, even if you have no alumni connection to them, because I don't find a significant correlation between boosters, obligates, and curmudgeons, and whether you went to the same school. Mm -hmm. School is just an indicator that this company is willing to pay the premium that it requires to attract you. Steve, the hour flew by as always. This oh, is really we're already done. I know, I know, oh. I know. I hate saying that, but I but I want to reiterate a couple of things. Start with the companies. There are ninety nine point nine percent of U.S. businesses that have fewer than five hundred employees. Reach out, look for your contacts, use the LinkedIn tools. Um, don't be afraid to reach out to people you don't know. If they don't get back to you, reach out to them one more time because hey. You know, you never know. If they don't get back to you at all, they're a curmudgeon. Don't waste their time on them. So much good information in the two-hour job search. I can't recommend it enough. Steve, please tell listeners where they can learn more about you or the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge. Uh, the easiest way to find the Sustainable Job Seeker Challenge is to Google it. There's a Huffington Post article that outlines it very neatly. If you're a concerned parent and you're concerned about your son or daughter being able to do this life skill, please read this article and notify your career center about it. Ask them if they're familiar. Notify the alumni and giving office to ask if they're familiar with it. I think where this change starts, where this ability to turn strangers into advocates is programmed into your collegiate experience, it's, it's at the university level. It needs to be part of a required job skills life training class. Um, I think that's going to be the solution for it, and that starts with consumer demand. So you can be a part of that solution. Thank you so much, Steve. We really appreciate it. Go get his book, The Two-Hour Job Search. Michelle and Dion, thank you for making this show sound incredible, but also for making it so fun. Hey, we are here every Thursday on Career Talk, and you can follow my blog at drdawnoncareers.com, or you can follow me on Dr. Dawn Graham on Twitter. Hey, you've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111, and we will see you next time.